This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Harris, for your time uh, this afternoon, this morning. And uh, we commend you for your wonderful work on behalf of the Jewish community. And uh, the honor that you bring to the Mesim and the Kavod that you bring them brings Kavod to the Jewish people. And may Hashem repay you and your family in kind. So it's a great honor to be at the grave of Rabbi Bernard Ilwoy, Rav Yisachar Dov Ilwoy, who lived from 1814 to 1871. Rav Ilwoy was born in Kolin in Bohemia. And uh, Kolin was a very prestigious Jewish city. It had many notable Rabbanim. You have the Archadosh, Rabbi Lezer Kalir, who wrote Archadosh HaMesechta Psachim. You had Rabbi Elezer Fleckles, who was one of the primary disciples of the Neide Behuda, who was a Rebbe, a Rav in Kolin. And he came from a line of prestigious Rabbanim. And he was an interesting uh, breed, an interesting mix, because he was a student in Budapest from the, the Impressburg, from the Chassam Soifer. So Rav Ilwoy had smicha from the Chassam Soifer, one of the most prestigious smichos of the time. On the other hand, he also enrolled in university, where, where he earned a, doc, a doctorate. And he was unusually equipped to fight the tides of assimilation when he came to the United States of America. Now, he did not have intention to come to the United States of America, but in Vienna he was considered a revolutionary and he could not get a government job as a Rav anywhere in the European continent because he was considered uh, a revolutionary. So he came to the United States of America where revolutionary activity was not considered a liability. And he arrives in America in 1853. Now you have to understand... In that time, all public uh, display of Judaism was strictly Orthodox. So you had a few notable Rabbanim who preceded him. You had Isaac Leeser of Philadelphia, who came in 1824, and Abraham Rice, who came in 1840. I had the privilege to be at Rabbi Leeser's graveside in Philly, and Rabbi Rice's graveside in Baltimore. However, in the 1840s, uh, through German reform, many of the immigrants were not knowledgeable in authentic Judaism. Many of the immigrants were not interested in practicing the Judaism of their ancestors, and that was fertile ground for individuals like Isaac Wise and Max Lilienthal to start to make um, fundamental changes in the way Judaism was observed. And Rabbi Ilwoy came as a warrior to battle any challenges against authentic Judaism. And his unyielding... um, disposition toward any accommodations in Judaism made him the number one voice of Orthodox Jewry. And even in his own congregations, he was not necessarily always popular among the Orthodox who began to feel the pressure of assimilation and the pressure of changing tides. So in 20 years, Rabbi Owoy served seven congregations. Okay? So... And then, finally, he, he was a rabbi in Syracuse, in Baltimore, and his longest tenure as a rabbi was five years. Okay, that's... Uh, it sounds funny, but quite typical for a European rabbi. All the great rabbis in Europe, Pnei Yeshua, Shagas Aryeh, Malbum, one city to the next, to the next, to the next, because, as uh, many rabbanim here know, the rabbanus is a tightrope, and... If you're going to speak the absolute truth, sometimes it's time to find a new job very quickly. So, 
Uh, Rabbi Ilwo is very involved in polemics, and uh, he was constant, in constant battle with Isaac Wise, and he was the main voice piece, aside from Rabbi Isaac Leeser in the Occident that we mentioned before. So, some of the, in 1856, Isaac Wise allowed a Yevama to remarry without Chalitza. You know, if somebody passes away without children, then the, um, their wife is obligated to marry the brother of the deceased, and she has to marry that uh, the brother, otherwise she cannot marry anybody else. And Isaac Wise sort of made away with the institution of Chalitza, and he wrote a very vehement letter against him. And in 1853, Wise published History of the Jew, which denies the historical truth of the Bible. Whereupon... Rabbi Ilwoy penned the famous words, How could your heart entice you thus to outstep all bonds, to distort the truth, and to shelter under the wings of falsehood in order to make yourself a name? What will you do on that coming day when your master shall question you? I set thee to guard the vineyard, but the vineyard thou hast not kept. And then when Max Lilienthal started to lessen what we call the all mitzvos, the yoke of mitzvos. Rabbi Ilwoy penned a letter to Max Lilienthal and he said, you know, with all your good intentions to make Sabbath more palpable, to make the tefillah easier, how many balei tshuva have you created? None. How many people have embraced Judaism in a more meaningful way? None. Where are all those who have stopped their hands from working on the Sabbath day? What happened to Rambam's ninth principle? I believe with perfect faith that this Torah will not be changed and that there will never be any other Torah from the Creator. And as we mentioned on the bus in 1856, they came up with the new prayer book and Rabbi Ilwai said this prayer book is good as a decorative item but not as an authentic uh, version of Jewish prayer. So, We stand here at his grave and we wonder, where are the great institutions that he founded? And the answer is, he was living at a time where he was really fighting the tide. And he risked his life and his health. At the end of his life, in 1865, from 1860 to 1865, he's the rabbi in New Orleans during the Civil War. And at the end of the Civil War, many Jews who came up from the South to become part of the New Orleans community, and they wanted to make radical change in, in uh, Orthodox Jewry, starting with mixed choir. And then the new president of the board made an announcement that to him the Sefer Torah is as meaningful as any other document of antiquity, whereupon Bernard Ilwoy stepped down, he quit, and he was jobless, and he was offered a job in Cincinnati, which he was very pleased with. But by the end of his life, he was a broken man. He suffered from... Uh, dyspepsia. He was forced to retire to live on a farm, but he continued his sharp pen. And if we are able to practice Orthodox Jewry today, if we are able to practice authentic Judaism, the way it was been practiced from the day that God gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai, it's because of men like Rabbi Ilwai who risked his life and his health and his livelihood to stand up for the truth under all circumstances. Some of the interesting halachic shilas that he dealt with were in, uh, in New Orleans. They were eating the Muscovy duck. And Rabbi Ilwai said, where did you get this duck from? You know, we didn't eat this in Europe. They said, well, Minhag America is to eat the duck. 
He said, you can only have authentic Jewish custom if it was under the auspices of learned rabbis. But there has never been a learned rabbi in the United States of America, and therefore there's no such thing as Minhag America. And he wrote a letter to Rabbi Shamshin Falhirsch and Nathan Marcus Adler, and they concurred with him that the Muscovy duck does not have authentic tradition and it cannot be eaten. Another issue that Rabbi Illoy dealt with was Esroigim in America. Here he is in New Orleans, and uh, the, the uh, orchards of the Chazoynish's Esroigim had not yet made it to New Orleans. And the question is, as a, is a, an American Esrog, is it kosher for the use on Sukkot? And he ruled that it is not kosher. Where, there are gentlemen over here, remind me. Where? Rabbi Burlov, thank you, uh, reminded me that there's another interesting issue regarding the kashos of Esrogim from the West Indies, that Max Lilienthal was machmer, that no, that is not good. But Isaac Leeser of Philadelphia, he passed in Lahakel that it is good. And you know who supported him? Rabbi, Yehosha, Rabbi Yeho, Yehosef Schwartz, who is the author of of um, a very interesting sefer on various manim, Tevuais Haaretz. He actually traveled from Europe to America to meet Rabbi Isaac Leeser, and they both concurred that the esrog from the West Indies is kosher. But regarding American esrogim, Cincinnati esrogim, I don't think there's anything, I don't think that, that exists, but New Orleans esrogim are, uh, are, some people have it, New Orleans esrogim were considered not kosher, so what did they use? In New Orleans, in the 1860s, they could not make a bracha on the Dalet Minim, as per the Psak of Rabbi Bernard Eloy. Zechusai Yagain Aleinu of Al Yisrael. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.